Genesis chapter 14, and we'll begin reading in verse number 10. The Bible said, And the veil of Sodom was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and, fell, and went their way. And they took Lot, Abraham's brother, who, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner. And these were the confederate with Abram, of Abram, with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. Father, I pray this morning in Jesus' name, Lord, that is the song we just heard, God, that you'd touch us again. We realize that we cannot preach without you, and we need you this morning. God, we didn't come to hear a sermon. We came to hear from heaven. God, I pray that you will speak to our heart. I pray that every individual in this building would open their heart this morning, that they'd not be distracted by the things or the cares of this world, that their mind would not drift into another area. But, oh God, may we be attentive to the word of God and may we receive with meekness the engrafted word. Help us to respond as the Holy Spirit would have us to this morning. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. I want to say this morning on the outset of this message here that when you come to Genesis chapter number 14, there's much to be said about the life of Abraham in this chapter. We'll not do that this morning for Abraham is really not the character of our story. I want to preach this morning on the deliverance of a backslider. I preached at nine o'clock this morning uh, on the departure of a backslider uh, concerning Lot as he saw the well-watered plains of Jordan and then he left and he departed from Abraham and he walked away not just from Abraham but he walked away from God. And here this morning, one chapter later, I want us to notice the deliverance of a backslider because when you come to chapter number 14, if you study the early verses of this chapter and of this text this morning, uh, there's five Canaanite uh, uh, state cities that have rebelled against the king of Elam and uh, they have rebelled against him and so the king of Elam takes his allies and he goes down and he defeats these five uh, city states here and the Bible tells us in verse number 10 that he defeats Sodom and Gomorrah and then in verse number 11 he uh, takes and plunders all the goods and finally in verse number 12 he takes slaves and in those slaves that he takes captive uh, the Bible makes it very clear that he took Lot. And so when we think about this text here and we see that where we're at, Lot in chapter 13 pitches his tent toward the well-watered plains of Jordan and in one chapter later, he's now a prisoner, a slave of the king of Elam. What we find in verse number 13 and 14 is Abraham's army. As the Bible says that there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew and he dwelt in the plains of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol, the brother of 
manner. These were the confederates with Abram. And so he comes and he gives this report to Abraham and he tells him what has taken place. Abraham in verse number 14 takes 318 of his own men that have grew up under his hand and his leadership that he has trained and he goes down in verse number 15 and we find Abraham's attack. As Abraham takes this army, he initiates attack in the middle of the night and he goes in and verse number 16 records his achievement as he defeats the king of Elam and he rescues Lot there. The Bible said that he brought back all the goods and also brought again the brother, his brother Lot and his goods and women also and the people. So Abraham goes down with this army. He attacks the king of Elam, defeats him, and he takes back everything that Lot and those that were with Lot lost when the king of Elam came in. Now, when you think about this, you would think that Lot would, would be in a place, he walks away from Abraham, he departs from him, he goes out his own way and he makes a mess of his life one chapter later and he's delivered by the very one that he walked away from. You know what you would think? You would think that Lot would be appreciative of what Abraham did for him. You think that there would be a thank you somewhere in this text here that Lot would show some form of appreciation that Lot would even cling to Abraham and say, Abraham, it didn't take very long for me on my own to make a mess of my life and to find out that living towards Sodom is not the, the way that I ought to live. And I remind you that in chapter 13, he pitches his tent towards Sodom, but if you'll notice verse number 12, the Bible says he's dwelling in Sodom. You can't live on the borders of this world without it sucking you into it. You can't flirt with the world and think that you're just going to have a little a flirtation with the world and, and it's not going to go any further than that. I want to tell you, friend Lot uh, uh, moves closer and closer to Sodom until just one chapter later, he's living in Sodom. He becomes a captive. Abraham uh, goes and risks his own life uh, and you would think that Lot uh, would forever be grateful for what his uncle Abraham had done in his life talking about the deliverance of a backslider. There's no thank you in this text. When you think about it, Lot doesn't give a testimony. There's no tears. I, I don't see anywhere where Lot uh, uh, weeps or cries. And I understand that, uh, listen, there's a, uh, that we have to be careful not to read too much uh, uh, into the text that is not there. But I'll tell you, I think everything that I'm seeing about Lot uh, will be supported just a few chapters later because what happens is, uh, is Abraham delivers him. Uh, he brings him out. Lot makes a terrible decision in chapter number 13 uh, whenever he goes the way of the world and pitches his tent. He makes a terrible dwelling in chapter 14 because he lives within the walls of Sodom. Sodom and then Lot makes a terrible disrespect in chapter 19 because the next time you find Lot, you know where he's at? He's right back in Sodom where, God, where Abraham had delivered him from. I mean, if you would have think anybody would have learned their lesson, you would have think Lot would have. I mean, he goes out, he leaves uh, uh, he leaves and goes his own way. He makes a mess of his life, winds up a slave uh, under the king of Elam. Abraham uh, brings him out uh, and you would think that if he, he wouldn't have anything to do with Sodom, but just a few chapters later, he's living right back in the place that got him in trouble. You don't want to preach on the deliverance of a backslider. Because in this text, what amazes me the most about chapter 14 
is that even though Abraham goes after him time and time and time, again, we see that this throughout the word of God, Lot goes right back to that same place. You know, there are people today that I've watched parents, and even as a pastor, I've done that. People go out to the world. They, 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 they're not out there very long. They, they don't heed the warning. They don't take the counsel. They go their own way. They have their own agenda. They get out there. They start doing things that they would never thought they would have ever be doing. They flirt with the world just a little bit, but it doesn't end there. The, before you know it, they go deeper and deeper and deeper. We all know family members. We all probably have family members or friends or someone we can relate that to. And I'll tell you, I've seen parents, and even as a pastor, I've experienced this. Uh, and you go out and you try to get them, you try to win them, they get themselves in a mess and you help them thinking that surely they'll come home surely there'll be some appreciation, surely this will give them a change of heart only to find out they go right back to the very same place that they went to I remember someone in this church who fell into sin. We did everything we could to try to keep them from going in that direction. Uh, it took about three to four weeks of, of trying to counsel, trying to, to help them, trying to plead with them, and literally, and I'm not making this up when I make this statement, begging them to not go the way that they were going, but they were bent to backslide. They had done set their eyes. Uh, they had done made their mind up. That's the way they were going. They go that way. Their life falls apart literally in 24 hours. Tragedy hits their home after getting out into sin and going against the word of God, the man of God, and the church of God. Within 24 hours, I receive a phone call. They're weeping and crying on the other end of that phone. I think, I don't know what is going on in their life. I talk with them just a few moments. They, they tell me, they share the tragedy, and in just a matter of seconds, we're both weeping. And in my mind, I'm thinking this will be what it takes to bring them back. I said to him, I said, listen, whatever, whatever I, I can do, whatever the church can do, we want to be there for you. We want to help you. And in just a matter, they, they stop and they said, preacher, this has nothing to do with the way that I'm living. It wasn't a moment for me to tell them that it had everything to do. They had just received some very tragic news. A few months later, more tragic news comes in their life. They begin to lose uh, their job. They lose their home. The more tragedy comes. And, and I remember going to a certain funeral that was in, the, in this family's life. And I thought, well, surely I'd spoke to the deacons. I said, let's just take some money. Let's go uh, over. It was uh, a few states away. And I said, I said, we'll just drive there. We'll take some money. And we'll just show them that the church genuinely cares. No matter what they've done, they still care. You know, I thought all the way over there, all the miles, not because it was me and a, a couple other men, but I thought all the miles that was traveled, all the tragedy that they had faced, when no one else was there standing with them for all that they had went through to find out that the church still showed up in the midst of their tragedy, I thought this will probably break them. But you know, it did not do that. They went right back to the life they were living. And it proves something in our text this morning as you think about where Lot really is 
in this chapter. If you listen to the sermon that I preached this morning, and I'll not re-preach that sermon, but I give just kind of a brief history of Lot's raising as he comes up, and it really gives clarity as to why Lot may even be where he's at in chapter 13 and 14. But what's amazing in chapter 14 is that nothing brings Lot to the place of repentance. You think about where he's at in these verses. In verse number 10, I see here that the slime pits of Sodom or the slime pits of Sodom did not stop Lot. The Bible said the veil of Sodom was full of slime pits and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and they fell there. You would have thought that when Lot heard that news that he would have saw even more tragedy and that the tragedy of others would have turned him in the right direction. But you know what? When people backslide and get out of the will of God, you know, oftentimes they hear the news of others uh, and it just seems like it rolls off of them like water off a duck's back. You ever seen somebody like that? I mean, you would think something like that would be a warning sign and would wake them up. But even the slime pits of Sodom and those that fell there was not enough to bring Lot to his knees. Uh, I want to tell you the devil's got a slime pit for anybody that'll follow his path. Amen. I'm telling you what looked like good watering holes uh, uh, to Lot in chapter number 13 he soon found out was nothing more than a slime pit. Can I tell you something? The devil lets you tromp around in his swamp. Uh, he'll let you uh, walk on luscious green grass for a little while uh, just to make you think that living out there is a whole lot better than living in here. But you mark it down somewhere. So, uh, the devil's got a slime hole and a slime pit and you're going to step into it, friend. Uh, and you're going to, listen, drown in the quicksand uh, of the devil's pit uh, if you follow that way. Amen. See, if you're saved and you're not right with God, life ain't going to get no better for you till you get right with him. You can roam this country over. You can run from one end to the other. You can try everything the devil has to offer, but it's nothing more than quick saying. Y'all still with me this morning? I'm just simply talking about the deliverance of a backslider. Even the slime pit wouldn't bring him home. I think about in verse number 11, the subtraction of the world would not bring him home. Notice what happens when they come in. The king of Elam, he, the Bible said that he took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went there way. You know what happens when the king comes in of Elam? He rips off everything in Sodom and Gomorrah. He takes all of Lot's uh, treasures, all of his cattle, all of the all the, the blessings that he'd received while he was living uh, uh, with Abraham and living by faith. Uh, the king of Elam comes in and takes everything away from him. You know, when you get away from God, you'll lose everything. He's all preacher. I have you to know I know somebody that's out of the will of God and they sure look like they're prospering. Hang on, friends. Hang on. Nobody prospers. If they're saved, nobody prospers living for the devil. I'm telling you, listen, and there's riches that money cannot buy. I'm telling you, friend, I wouldn't trade the kingdoms of this world. I wouldn't trade the wealth of this world. I wouldn't trade the fame of this world for what I feel in my soul. Amen. And I'll sit on a church pew and know that you're saved and look down that pew and have a good wife or have a good husband, have faithful children. I'm telling you, that's riches that money cannot buy. I'm not willing to forfeit my family. I'm not willing to forfeit what God has blessed me with. I'm telling you, I've got no regrets living for God. I'm telling you, it's not always been easy and I've not always done what's right. But can I tell you something? I look where I came from. I look where I'm at today. I have to raise my hand and say, God, I never want to quit walking with you. I never want to leave your side. My home could be in a mess. I could be in divorce court, but God has been good to me. Hallelujah. 
I'll take out over houses and land. I'll take it over a big bank account. I'll take it over anybody chanting your name. I'll take it over the wealth that this world could ever, listen, stop chasing the dollar, friend, and wake up and realize that their real wealth is not in the tangible things of this world, but it's in the goodness of God. Hallelujah. I could get a terrible report today that I made up with cancer. And that my life is soon going to be over with down here. But I got peace. That I know Jesus. And that I'm headed to a better world. I'm telling you, there's riches money can't buy. The devil will take everything good out of your life. He may let you keep your house. He may even give you a bigger house. He may let you keep your job. He may give you a better job. Those are not the things that the devil wants to take away. He wants to take your purity. Somebody say amen. He wants, to take a, he wants to take away a clear conscience at night. He wants to take away the peace that comes in the center of the will of God. He wants to take away the joy. You can have everything this world has to offer and not have joy. Amen. I know somebody in my family that I dearly love right now. And I've been praying for them, been burdened for them. But the truth of the matter is they don't have any joy. They're just as miserable. as, And I believe they're saved. And I'm telling you, listen, if you gave them a million dollars, they wouldn't be happy. You know why? Because money can't buy you happiness, friend. The things of this world, the pleasures of this world can never put a smile and joy in your heart and on your face. I'm telling you something amazing thing about being saved. You not have two nickels to rub together. You may not know where your next meal's coming from, but if you've been born again and you're right with God, you know what? You'll be happy. Amen? I'm telling you, I feel like I got my pockets are full of money right now. I ain't got no money, but I got God no time religion and living for God's the best thing. A devil can have this world. He can have everything in it. I say just give me Jesus. Just give me peace of mind. Just give me peace of heart. Let me lay my head down at night and know that I'm right with God. Amen. That's what I, I'd rather live in a grass hut feel and hear the voice of God speak to my soul. Missionaries go to the mission field and uh, they serve in, in third world countries and they're, they're happy and they, they got joy and their children grow up and, and they get older and some don't but some uh, feel the call to go to that same field. Uh, they leave the comforts of America. They leave all that America has to offer. Can I tell you something? America's not as glamorous and glittering as what the world wants you to think it is. Uh, I'm telling you this world is in a mess. Uh, I'll tell you listen, uh, uh, somewhere's on the back Side of nowhere is in a third world country. There's a missionary and his wife and his children, and they're in the center of God's will. And they get up every morning and they got joy in their hearts. You know why? Because the world cannot offer you that, friends. How in the world you can live in a hut and feel like you're living in a mansion. You know what that is? That's God, amen. On the other side, there's those that live in a mansion, but they're as miserable as if they're living in a hut. I'm telling you, ain't something to just living for God. I'm telling you, it puts things in your life that the world cannot give you, amen. People chase things in this world thinking somewhere's at the end of it. They're going to find deliverance and happiness and they never find it. Brother, I'm telling you tonight, this morning, I see here that there's subtraction. How many things, I want to ask you this question. 
How many goods is God going to have to take away from you to get your attention? Amen. Brother, I'm telling you, what's it going to take? You don't hear a lot of preaching on this anymore. Somebody ought to preach it. You don't think God won't take one of your children. You're sadly and badly mistaken. We live in such an ultra-sensitive society. You say that nowadays and people are like, oh, you're just trying to scare me. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to warn you. Amen. You don't think God won't take your spouse. You don't think God won't take your husband. You don't think God can't take some things out of your life. You get out of the will of God and you watch things spin out of control. I'm telling you little by little and one thing by one thing, God knows how to wake us up. God knows how to get a teacher. Well, God wouldn't take my wife if I got out of the will of God. He took Lot's wife. Amen. I'm telling you, the children that were left were left in devastation and destruction all because one man lifted his eyes up one day and said, I'll take that. I'll go in that direction. Hey, hear me and hear me well. You better listen to the preacher this morning. You better get it out of your soul. Get it out of your heart. I feel all my soul God is trying to send a warning. When people try to help you, you better wake up for him to what they're saying. Lot just went on his way. Slime pits didn't stop him. The subtraction of the worldly goods, he lost everything. Slavery and imprisonment, the Bible said in verse 12, that they took Lot. You know, you'd think Lot would have looked after Abraham brought him out. Abraham risked his life and 318 other men risked their life to help Lot. You know, it's the way people are when they backslide. They don't care who goes out of their way. People bend over backwards to try to help them and they despise them for it. They say, you're trying to run my life. You're, you're trying to tell me what to know. It's people that cares. Uh, the king of Elam didn't care for, for Lot, but Abraham, he didn't have to do that. Abraham could have said, I've invested in Lot enough. I've helped him enough. And he wouldn't listen. He had to go his own way. He got himself in his own mess. Uh, he can get himself out of it. But no, that's not what Abraham did. Abraham went to battle for him. Abraham went to war for him. Abraham got his army together and said, we're going to put our life on the line. Now, I believe Abraham knew God would take care of him. He's a man of faith, but nevertheless, uh, he put other men in harm's way that he might be able to help one man that had got away. Abraham went to the end to try to help a brother, but this brother in the end, he doesn't even think about it. I'm talking about the slavery, the imprisonment. You would have think the moment that they slapped them shackles on Lot and marched him out of Sodom, he would have went back down memory's lane and said, you know what? This wouldn't have happened if I'd have stayed with Uncle Abraham. Oh, my soul. I've watched people get out of church. And I've wondered, it's a great mystery to me. Do they ever even think when things happen, this wouldn't have happened if I'd have stayed at Bible Baptist Church? This wouldn't have happened if I'd have kept my family where they're supposed to be at. Do they ever think about that? Or do they go on to like Lot did? Do they ever go back? I I've, don't know that I've ever had one that, until they get right, but do they ever go back and say, thank you. Thank you for loving me when I got out of the will of God. Thank you for, for all you've done. You know, I, I, this church is a very generous church. One time someone got out of the will of God we took an offering up. They had a need. Went to their house and gave them the offering. And I told them, I said, the church took this up today. They just, we heard you had a need and the church wanted to help you. 
they said to me, they said, oh, preacher, I, I, don't, I, don't need, I don't need the money. I said, come on. I said, everybody needs money. That's what I told them. I said, and you put it in your pocket. I said, everybody needs money. Would y'all say amen to that? Now, if you don't need money, give me yours and see how you do. Everybody needs money. Somebody take up $500 and give you, a, it was $2,500 this church took up. So I give you $2,500, you're going to look at them and say, well, I don't need that. Well, you're lying. <laughs> give it back. And I told him that. I said, well, you stuck it in your pocket. I said, brother, it's not the money. They did it because they love you. They did it because they care. They did it because they wanted to, it's a, it's a symbol that we want you back. That's what I told them. They dropped their head. They never said anything. I want to tell you, do people ever look? You, you ought to look around this morning. Life isn't as bad as the devil makes you think it is. That's why I don't have what certain people have. I, my life, and we live in, can I, just, can I just preach on this for about five minutes? Uh, this facade society that we live in, where everybody's got to be dressed a certain way, Everybody's got, I'm talking about a certain criteria. Uh, you know, everybody's got, to, everybody's got to keep up with everything. You know what that is? That's a bunch of hogwash. Y'all know what hogwash is, don't you? I'm not going to define it, okay? But I'll tell you after church if you want to know. It's a bunch of hogwash. You know, everybody's got to keep up with the Joneses. I, I'm not talking about Brother Tim and his sister there when I say that. But everybody's got to, everybody's got to, you know, there's, a, there's always a new standard. I mean, if you got a leather couch, guess what? Six months from now, everybody's going to whatever else, you know? Oh, you got a leather couch. You got dark cabinets. Don't you know everybody preachers at white cabinets now? I want white cabinets. Amen. Because when my grandkids put their hands on it, I can see the dirt. Well, you, you know, you got to have these kind of countertops now because this is what's in. And, and I'm not fussing if you got an up-to-date house. Hallelujah, thank God for it. But you're going to live a miserable life if you're always trying to keep up with whatever else is turning out. Amen? I'm telling you, that's a miserable way to live. It's a system of this world. Uh, and don't fall in the pit of that. Amen? Look around, see what you have. Thank God for what you have. And if he never gives you nothing else, uh, it's still better than what you deserve. Uh, and you ought to judge you're not living in a third-world country. Bless Bless his name for being good and don't give a rip about keeping up with nobody. Boy, I'm telling you, that feels good to preach on. I'm telling you, listen, we're not keeping up with the Joneses. We're not keeping up with nobody else. We're not going to keep up with the Smiths, amen. We're just going to go on and serve God and live for God and thank him for what we have. Hallelujah. Who cares if you drive a car that's 10 years old? If it's running, hallelujah. Isn't that right? I drive a car, it's, a, it's seven years old, 75,000 miles, little Ranger truck, amen. And uh, you know what? I, I thought the other day, I thought, well, I wouldn't sell it for nothing right now. You know why? Because I got a clear title. Now, it says salvage, but it's still clear. And it runs fine. It runs good. It said, preacher, wouldn't you like to have a, a big, nice, shiny truck? I don't want a big, nice, shiny $1,000 a month payment. If you got one more power to you, if you're paying it and pay, as long as you're paying your tithes and, and taking care of all your bills, I say more power to you. And I'm telling you, I'm just as happy running down a road uh, in a truck that's paid for. That's about seven years old uh, that I own it. It don't own me. Hallelujah. And I can just live free. Praise God. Uh, I'm just simply saying... Uh, 
And if God takes it away, it's just a hunk of metal is all it is. Isn't that right? Subtraction. Slavery. There's a lot of things that enslaves people. And the salvation from a precious loved one did not even turn him back. Look what the Bible says in verse number in verse number 16. The Bible says, and he brought back all the goods. Notice this, all the goods. And also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and women also and the people. Hey, do you realize this morning, look at me. Do you realize this morning that when Abraham went down when he went down there to, to, to fight that battle, he wasn't really going after the goods. He brought the goods back, and I believe there was a reason for that. But Abraham was really going down there for one reason. It was to rescue a brother that had been enslaved by this world. And so Abraham feels that the task has been completed. He doesn't care, care about the riches, but he brings it all back. And here Lot is standing. He was once a slave, but now he's been brought back to a place where he's been reestablished everything that he has lost uh, the people of God have brought it back for him they've won the battle that he could not win uh, he's been set free and the next time you see him right back in the same place I'll say this in closing this this morning the prodigal son's father had it right when I don't think Abraham was wrong in going after Lot I believe that was right But I think the prodigal son teaches us the greatest principle about when backsliders have been delivered. It's this. You can go after them and go after them and go after them, but until they come to themselves, they're not really coming home. He said, well, preacher, what I do, I, I have somebody in my family that, that is backslid. I, I, have a, I have a family member. I have a, a friend that, that is backslid. I think about church members that are backslid. Oh, listen, the, the tears, the tragedy, the broken heart, when they, when they disconnect and they, they leave, it, it rips your heart out as a pastor and a pastor's wife. And you pray, you continue to pray. And you know, I like church directories, but there's one thing I don't like about church directories. Every time we print one, somebody leaves. Y'all, y'all ever noticed that? Every single if I wait five years and we don't print one, everybody stay. But as soon as we print one next month, somebody pulling out. When you open that directory and you start praying and you go down through there, there's always those places in those directories. My heart breaks. I wish they'd come back. I wish they'd come home. But until they come to themselves, You say, preacher, should we not go after people? Absolutely. Abraham went after Lot, didn't he? Here's the principle. The first time Lot messes up, Abraham goes after him. The second time when Lot goes back to Sodom, Abraham don't go after him. You know what he does? He prays for him. God, if there'd just be 10 righteous, would you spare the city? He prays for him. There's a time to go after him. And then there's a time to just pray for him. You say, when is that? I don't know. Depends on the individual. Depends on where you're at. What I would say to you is be sensitive. I'm going to go after people until the Holy Spirit says stop. Just pray for them. I'm going to keep going after them. Sometimes that's very quick. Sometimes it's very long-suffering. It's God's work, isn't it? I don't know what God may be doing in people's lives. I don't know what He's doing in your life this morning, but here's the message. If you've strayed, if you've wandered, If you've thought about it this morning, 
I pray you'll take heed to this message. Look around and think about the people that's invested in your life. I thought about this morning. All the times, not all the times, but a lot of the times that I went to church, Brother George, didn't even know that in my heart I had drawn away from God some and God gave the preacher exactly what I needed. I thought about all the times. See, backslide's not always I'm just going to go out there and live in the world. Now, I remember one time, I'll give you an example. It's my third year of Bible college. Was working 12 hours a day, going to school four hours, four, three hours at night, four nights a week. I saw my family only on the weekend, basically. I'd get up at 4.30 in the morning, come, come back home about 10.30 that night. And so after about three years of that, I decided one day, I told my wife, I said, you know, I said, I think I'm just going to finish my college at some other time. I said, it's just, I was, I was just probably about uh, one, one more year away from being done. I said, you know, I'm just going to finish. That. I'm not going to spend another year. I'm missing too much time with you, too much time with the kids. And I said, you've invested so much time. You don't need to quit. I said, yeah, I, you know, and I spiritualized it. I wanted her to quit telling me that. I didn't want her to tell me, Brother George, now you, you don't quit. So you know what I told her? I said, I've prayed about it. God gets blamed for more things than anybody does. I said, I prayed about it. I said, I'm going to quit. I went to Bible college that night. Brother Blue was teaching. It was his class, and I walked in. After class was over with, I went up and said, Brother Blue, you know, I've been coming for three years, and I just got one more year left. And I said, I'm working 60 hours a week and four hours or three hours of school, four nights a week. I said, Wednesday night church. And I said, I only see my family on Saturday. And I have to, I had all this laid out, you know. I have to mow the yard, wash the car, do all those kind of things around the house that needs to be done. Then Sunday it's church all day. and trying to do, uh, do, do uh, college work in between church. I said, I've just got no time for my family. I said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to quit. You know what he did? He looked up at me, took his glasses off. He said, you're not quitting. I said, no, I have to for my... He said, no, you, you're not quitting. I said, I'm he said, I'm not going to let you quit. I said, Brother Blue, he said, if I have to come to your house, I will. And he would have. He said, you're not quitting. You know, I went back home and I was frustrated. My wife said, well, how'd that go? I said, he told me I couldn't quit. I said, I don't know who he thinks he is. <laughs> she said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I reckon I'm going to go back tomorrow. I said, she said, why? I said, I'm afraid not to. I don't want him coming to my house. <laughs> and you know what? He would not let me quit. Thank God. Thank God for people that don't turn loose of you very easily. There's people I've had to let them go because I knew it was for what was best and I knew their mind was made up. There's some people you just can't, you just got to pray for them. But there has been a few along the way that when they tried to walk away, I, I said, no, I, I said, you, you can't do that. I said, you can't do that. But the lad came up and told me something today. I said, you can't do that. I thought you'd say that. I said, that's exactly right. I'm trying to lord over people. But I'm going to tell you something. If I see you going in the wrong way, I'd be a fool to just let you walk away. If 
you see me going in the wrong way. Brother Allen, if I start deterring, you serve God longer than I have. And, and he's not a preacher, but he's been in the way and has served God longer. I, I would hope that you would come and in love say, don't go that way. Don't stop. Don't, don't give in. And, well, I'm telling you, don't you appreciate people sometimes that will just give you that word of encouragement. You say, well, I really don't think I need it. You may need it more than you think you do. And you may not need it too much today, but it may be what rings true in your ears tomorrow or the next day. I'm telling you, God knows what we need when we need it. As we stand this morning, how many times is somebody going to have to bail you out? When are you going to learn your lesson? You can run all over this world you're never going to find what you're looking for until you get where God wants you to be at. Fred, you need to stop running. You can lose while you're trying to chase what you think is so glamorous and so, so much glitter. It's fool's gold. You can lose the most precious thing that life had to offer. Why don't you turn loose of that pew? Come on. Do business with God this morning. Get right with God. Get on this altar and get right with him this morning. Stop running. Run to him. Don't run from him this morning while our heads are bowed, Christians are praying. I want to tell you, long before Lot ever drew his, before he ever drove his tent, his tent stakes down, I'm going to tell you, it's already in his heart before he ever pinched his tent. What about you this morning? What's in your heart right now? What's in your heart? Before it ever, he ever lifted up his eyes, he'd already lifted up his heart because he stopped worshiping. Abraham built them altars in chapter 13, went back, or went back to that altar, Bethel. I wonder if Lot even went to the altar with him. And if he did, I wonder if he got, he'd done been down to Egypt. He done saw the lights of Egypt. And his worship wasn't right. Egypt will rob you of your worship, friend. You can be in a good church and you can be around good worship. But if you're still living in the world, it'll rob you of, of your worship. If you get Egypt out of your heart, your worship will get right. It'll get real to you. Father, I pray this morning in Jesus' name. God, I, I don't know anybody's heart this morning, but I know the Holy Ghost is working. You're working on people right now. God, I pray if there be someone here that's wandered in their soul away from you. Please, dear God, I ask you to please put them under deep conviction right now. Let them find a place of repentance or let them heed the warning this morning. May the will of God be done. As she sings this song this morning, you obey God. If you need his touch, come on, friend.